You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. I'm excited this morning to start a new series with y'all. Uh, if you've been with us this year, uh, we spent a good portion of the early part of the year in a series called Return to Me uh, from Second uh, Chronicles and through Ezra. And then that got us into about a 12-week series we just wrapped up last week, if you were keeping track, uh, in Nehemiah. And so now we're jumping forward into the NT, the New Testament. We're leaving the OT. Yeah, you know me. We're leaving that for a bit. And we're going into the New Testament to begin a 13-week series of the Acts, the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. And uh, in order to do this in this time frame over the summer here, we're going to actually be covering uh, just over or about two chapters a week. So we're not going to cover everything. You know, like we went kind of almost verse by verse uh, in some sections uh, through Nehemiah. We're going to be a little bit higher level through that, a little bit more of a an arc coasting through. So I really encourage you uh, in your own home time, in your own uh, reading, go ahead and join us in the book of Acts and uh, read some things that we will recap here but might not read verbatim. Sound good? Okay. Um, so I just really want to encourage you to be, be in the Word throughout this. I also want to now invite you to stand for the reading of our main scripture today. We've been doing that. That's a new habit here for us at True Life Church And uh, we're going to read now all of chapters uh, 1 through 7 as you remain standing. I'm just kidding. No, just bear with me a few verses. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way 
as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word for us is holy. I pray that we are able to read and respond to these words and the words that follow then that we will be studying this morning, that you would reveal to us in our hearts the things that need to be changed. Convict us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be about your kingdom on earth. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. We're going to dive into some interesting stories if you've read the book of Acts before. A lot of things happen. There's multiple imprisonments. There's some tough situations that our protagonists are going to have to uh, get out of. Uh, there is a bad guy who becomes a good guy. Uh, there is a shipwreck. There is so, I mean, it's great writing, uh, but it's true. You know, it, it's much, much better than anything that Disney Plus or Netflix shows are putting out. This is good writing here, and we're going to be taken on a journey through some of these characters that if you have never read the book of Acts, I hope you do and will come to learn and understand because it is so pivotal for us because Acts is about the birth of the church. Are we a church? Yeah, so this is important for us, right? It's like reading our origin story. It's should, should be a big deal. So we're going to be taking on a journey. Today, we're going to kind of just set the stage. We are going to cover chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, but before we get there, just a little bit of background about the book of Acts. Uh, Acts was written by a man named Luke. All right? The, yes, that Luke. Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. And he was an, he's the only non-Jewish man to write one of the four Gospels. Most likely... Or possibly Luke never even met Jesus. In a similar way to Paul, he was transformed by Jesus and the Holy Spirit and what had happened after. Uh, he addresses this book to a man named Theophilus. And I'm going to pause here to just interject um, the next few things, the ideas uh, that I'm about to share with you are, are public, they're out there, but they're not scripture, all right? I want to be careful with saying that, because, but I want, I want to paint an idea in your minds of, okay, who's, who's this book being written to? We start the first words read, in this book, O Theophilus, so this is to someone. Well, who's this Theophilus person? Well, technically, we don't know. So here's some ideas that I want to get your brain just thinking about. Uh, one idea is that um, it's us. Theophilus translates as a name. Your name means something. My name means something. Yeshua, Joshua means God saves. Your name might mean chosen one or princess or player of many video games. I don't know what your name means, but it means something. And Theophilus kind of breaks down into loved by God or friend of God. So on one hand, Luke would be writing, dear friend of God, to which you and I hopefully are one. Another possibility is that this, is, this Theophilus is a high-ranking Roman official. Later, this is addressed as, oh, excellent, most excellent Theophilus. So kind of a, a terminology that Paul uses later in this book, uh, book of Acts, chapter 23, 24, and 26, to kind of uh, recognize someone of, of high authority or, or standing. It could be a wealthy or influential man in the city of Antioch or, or a person who had possibly supported or financially funded um, some of Paul's and Luke's missionary journeys. So he's kind of writing maybe to, to give them an insight about what has gone on. Uh, another possibility is that Theophilus was a high priest. 
the brother-in-law of Caiaphas and the son of another priest named uh, Annas, uh, in this time, about A.D., um, Anno Domini, you know, year of our Lord, so he wasn't 80 years old, but A, D, uh, around that time, 37 to 41 ish, uh, there was a high priest in Jerusalem named Theophilus Ben Ananus. So maybe he was writing to this high priest, Theophilus. Um, another possibility is that Theophilus is the name of a Roman lawyer whom Luke is writing to, defending Paul. I'm sure many of you got dragged into this cesspool of viral videos that was the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, objection hearsay, etc., etc. So Paul was uh, on trial a few times for his faith. One of those times, this third time, uh, when he was imprisoned uh, for about two years, uh, Luke could have been writing to Theophilus if Theophilus was a Roman lawyer who was basically given the book of Luke and Acts together as kind of like a legal brief, uh, citing that Christianity is a religion and not anti-Roman, and this is what's happened to go on to to tell people. So a couple ideas of things that this Theophilus uh, person could be, but again, the bottom line is we, we don't know. What we do know is that uh, Luke wrote Luke and Acts. So if you want to go on a scripture reading journey outside of this, you can read Luke and then jump straight to Acts. They're by the same author, same writing style, and you'll be able to pick up right where Luke leaves off and jump right into Acts. It just flows. It's pretty cool. Uh, So Acts was uh, written about A.D. 62 or 63, again, Paul was imprisoned uh, after his third missionary journey. He gets out of prison and goes on a fourth missionary journey and then eventually to his imprisonment in Rome and then death about five, four or five years later. Um, Luke was a traveling companion with Paul. Uh, he uses we many times. Um, and basically the book of Acts covers the first 30 to 35 years of early church history. So after Christ until about A.D. 63. Uh, Luke often uses some medical terms that were um, not necessarily generic for the day. So he's an educated man and kind of picks up on some of that uh, medical stuff. And then interestingly enough, if you've ever read the book of Acts, it just kind of ends. It just kind of drops you off. You're like, wait, what? That's it? What? More? More? And it just stops there. So an uh, idea is that you know maybe what had yet come to pass with Paul hadn't happened yet. It could have been before Paul's death. Um, or, or secondarily, um, that that was just where they were at in that point in time. And then you and I are meant to pick this up and continue the journey of the church. We often refer to Paul as writing the most amount of the uh, New Testament. And that's true in one sense. Paul wrote the most books 13, 13 books. But Luke wrote more words. So in Luke and Acts, these two books alone, he's got 6,000-ish more words than than we have from Paul, about 38,000 words from Luke and Luke and Acts, and about 32,000 from from Paul. So again, encourage you, if you're home, you know, and and bored, um, but preferably even if you're home and not bored, open the Word, begin in Luke, and read through, and then pick up into where we are at in Acts. It will not disappoint. So we pick up here, we've read verse 1 through 11, and I'm going to read now in verse 12 to get to verse 15. After Jesus had been taken up, then the then, that's the then, then they returned to Jerusalem, and they've been told to go there, if you recall, just a few moments ago by Jesus, said, go to Jerusalem and wait there, wait there, um, 
for you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit uh, not many days from now. So they go back to uh, Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. (gasps) There they are. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. This is important. Keep your finger here in verse 14. Devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers... The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. We're going to pause here really quickly because what we need to understand right now is that after all the thousands of followers of Jesus, everyone who hit the like button, who followed on Twitter, who shared the Instagram story, everyone who went around with Jesus, probably in the thousands to the tens of thousands of people who would just kind of trope with Jesus from town to town and village to village, um, they were there for the show, the spectacle, for the awe, for the wonder. Maybe they were there for the free food. When's that next all-you-can-eat 5,000 buffet coming? I know it's just loaves and fish, but man, it's free and I'll take it. Right? That was pretty good last time. And there were leftovers. Maybe they're waiting there for the food. Maybe they were there uh, to follow in Christ when it was easy before, ooh, he went on the cross. Maybe I'll cancel culture this Jesus thing and, and distance myself from, because he's not popular now and he died and I don't want to die. Maybe they followed Jesus when it was easy or easier. Maybe they followed Jesus when it was close. Proximity. Oh, Jesus is coming. I'll go hear him. He's in my backyard today. I'll I'll go down to, uh, he's just in Malabar. I'll go to Malabar, I'll hear Jesus, and then then that's it. I went to church on Christmas and Easter and whatever. And what we find is that the majority, the extreme majority, well above 90 plus 5% of anyone who was probably associated or attached to the identity of a Christ follower at this point has just disappeared. They pulled the Homer Simpson into the shrubbery meme. They just, they just, just, just vanished. Now, it, it doesn't mean that some or few of the people who Jesus had interactions with or had leadership with or who started following it, doesn't mean that they're not busy doing things, right? Uh, for example, there's the man who is formerly known as Legion, you know, who had lots of demons. Demons went into pigs. Pigs went into a river. Bad for the pigs. Good for Legion, right? So Legion was, wanted to follow uh, Jesus, the crazy man who was hurting himself, beating himself up with chains, living in the graveyard. And Jesus said, no, don't get in the boat with me. I want you to stay here. And that area was around the area of Decapolis, uh, 10 Hellenistic cities on the east side of the River Jordan. Uh, so think about that for a second, because later in A.D. 69 and 70, when the Romans attacked Jerusalem, and the Christians were then on the run, and persecution became heavier. This area around Decapolis, where Legion had been left, became a harbor of safety for early Christ followers. That would have only happened if a few people, like Legion, had stayed behind to be about the work of the kingdom. So I just I, I imagine, you know, 
possibly legion, wanting to go with Jesus, being told to stay here, is like, okay, then I will make the most of it. And there could, there could have been churches in the Decapolis, Ten City area, simply because he stayed and was obedient to what Jesus had told him to do. I love, I love just thinking about that. Uh, there was Jairus' family with his daughter who was uh, dead and came back to life, sick and then well. The man who came back th- thankful, uh, who was uh, healed from his leprosy. Nine others didn't, but he came back and, and thankful. The woman at the well in Samaria. It doesn't mean that those people had just abandoned faith. But what we do know is that they weren't here. They weren't with the rest of the people. The majority of people had followed Jesus because it was popular, because it was easy, because they got something that they wanted out of it. Is that true today? How many times have we heard of, and you might have ended up here because of this, and I'm not picking on you, but, oh, that church is just, it's just not feeding me. That pastor's sermons just not being fed there. Now, if they're not preaching the truth, by all means, leave. Please, leave. If they're singing incorrect theological songs, please depart quickly. But the excuse that, oh, the pastor's not feeding me. This is meant to be an encouraging and a teaching time as we gather every week, right? But modern day Christians have become accustomed to baby food. Last time I checked, I don't need to open your mouth and say, here comes the airplane, like you and I are at a Cracker Barrel. How weird would it be if I'm, if I'm feeding you? No, no, Mm-mm. don't like it. It'd be weird, right? But that's modern-day Christianity. They want to be spoon-fed. This is a great meal that we are able to share together. It's like a, a, a potluck once a week of teaching. But if this is your only meal, you've got to get off the baby food. Read the word for yourself. Anyway, moving on. So we have 120 people who are left. Everyone say 120. 120. Is that a lot of people? (laughs) Who said yes? (laughs) Mary said yes. Uh, By most standards, Mary, most people would probably disagree with you. That's all right. 120, if 120 people showed up at a NASCAR race, they'd be like, what's happening? What's wrong with this? You know, if 100 people showed up at a Patriots game, they'd be like, what's going on? This This is bad. You know, if 100 people showed up at a Marlins game, they'd be like, yay! Um, so we have 120 people left <laughs> uh, there's a throwback article this is totally not my notes there's a throwback uh, article from a satire site called The Onion and it's from about 8 or 9 years ago if you wanted to look it up it's, I'll never forget it it, it, was, it was the Marlins and uh, they were writing this you know it was, they had one fan and his name was Dave 
you know, he just showed up. They know where Dave sat, you know, and so their special promo that weekend was give Dave a bat day. It was just, it's worth looking up and, and just chuckling. So anyway, um, there's 120 people, right? And even by today's standards, 120 people, most people would look at a church of that size and be like, that's not a large church, right? Large churches, maybe 300. Large churches, 500, 5,000, no, 10,000, no, 60,000 live streaming and multi camping satellites. <laughs> 120 people left. A few things to note here is that, number one, the disciples aren't afraid anymore. Now, they had been. Uh, you're welcome to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 20. Uh, keep your finger here in Acts, obviously. We're coming back to it. But uh, John chapter 20, verse 19 uh, says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, this is after the crucifixion, and obviously, uh, doors being locked, um, for fear of the Jews, they were afraid. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I was dead, but now I live. Here's the scars to prove it. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them now, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And from this moment... Biblically, from this moment, these disciples, ten of them, Judas is dead, Thomas is absent, he's about to have the whole doubting Thomas thing in the next few verses, and this moment, these disciples receive the Holy Spirit. Just breathed it on them. Before Pentecost. Right? Before the birth of the church. And of these, this remnant... They are left, they have the Holy Spirit. Not everyone, the remnant. Now, I can't help but stop and think of how much this parallels post-pandemic Christianity in America. A lot of people coming 2019, 2020, growth in actually many denominations. Some reports you may say that the church was declining, but most statistics actually discount that. Some denominations were actually growing very large, very quickly. Especially Pentecostal and charismatic um, type of congregation where you go and you feel something. You know. Which by itself isn't a bad thing, but if that's all there is, that's another conversation. And I think it's echoing what we're seeing today. The, the customers are being trimmed away and Christ followers are remaining. Our church has been through this over the last year and a half, have we not? And we join about 99% of all other churches in America in the exact same statistic. Most churches are at about 40 to 50% of who they were coming, attendance-wise, life groups, by every measurable, by every metric, most churches are 40 to 50% of what they were back in February of 2020. So there's been some pruning. There's been some trimming. But if you've ever smoked a brisket, you've got to cut off some fat. 
I like brisket. I like smoking brisket. And there's a big fat cap on the, on the top. You got to shave some of that down. You don't want to eat all that. So there's some fat that has been trimmed. There's some pruning that we echo of God being the gardener and Jesus being the vine and we the branches grafted on top of that. And when things first started going down and families started leaving, you know, it hurt. Every branch that's pruned probably says, ow. You know, it's not pleasurable. Many times it was painful. But through it all, and despite my initial reservations and feelings, I am thankful. And I've said this before, I don't by any stretch hate who True Life Church was in 2020, actually far from it, but I do love our church today. Thanks, Shannon. I love our church today, and, and in many ways we've been trimmed down to a, to a remnant, but there is good news here, and I'm excited for it, because God can use small numbers to make a big difference. God can use small numbers to make a big difference. Even from the book of Judges, one of the judges was a man named Gideon. He was called to create this army. Nope, nope, too many. Whittle it down. Nope, too many. Nope, too many. Nope, too many. Finally got down to 300 against multiple armies. Like, this is okay. What do you want us to do? And then the Lord said, I actually don't even want you to fight. I want you to go out in the dark and make a big bunch of noise with trumpets and smash jars and lots of fire and just go, and just go scream. They didn't even fight. They didn't pick up a sword. And the 300 men who did kind of nothing but were obedient to God won. Against thousands and thousands. God won for them. How cool is that? So with God, all things are possible, right? So we can't look at 120 or 74 or 63 or 101 and be like, oh, no, 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 no. Quite the contrary. We're nimble. We're speedy. We can be accurate. I'd much rather be a sniper's bullet than a big old cannonball. Just creating chaos. Right? I want to. I want to see a target. I want to go blink. That's where we want to go. Not smash. Just you know, make havoc. I don't want to make havoc. When I have a target, I want to go for it. So it's okay to be small, nimble, quick, speedy. Ask Muggsy Bogues. Anyone who know who that is? Okay, us old folk. We know who that is. God can use small numbers to make a big difference. But what were these small numbers doing? Playing Yahtzee? Coming together for, again, just smoking brisket and a good time? Watching the game together? What were they coming together doing? We have to track back to verse 14. That's right. Acts chapter two, 1, verse 14. What were they doing when they came together? Okay, All these with one accord, they were all doing, they were coming together. All right? They're all together in the same room, and they are with one accord, one mind, one heart, one soul, one spirit, one purpose, one identity, and they are, that's what they're doing, and they are devoting themselves to prayer, and then because of what then Peter goes on to in next, teaching. 
They are gathering and praying, being faithful, obedient, being taught, being encouraged, being edified, being corrected, being disciplined. Friends, are we in this remnant right now? Even outside of the context of True Life Church, we are. We must start thinking that way. And that's good. Let's not give up. Let's get busy doing what we should be doing. Peter goes on in verse 18 of chapter 1, and this will recap a little bit. They're down. They're down minus one. There's a man named Judas Iscariot. You may know what happened to him. For 30 pieces of silver, he made a bargain, turned in Jesus, and then later took a rope, hung himself, and then either the branch broke, the rope broke, or after he had been there a few days and started stinking, it came down and it went, I mean, nasty. So that field was called the field of blood, and that's what happened to Judas Iscariot. So they're like, okay, we're down a man. Didn't end well for him. We've got to do something to replace this guy. So what do they do? They played Yahtzee. <laughs> I'm serious. They, they, they brought out the, the, the stones in the cup, and we go shake, 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 and see what comes out. Now before this, they had already narrowed it down, of which two men were found to be potential candidates. And having no other kind of way to do that, except after praying and seeking the Lord on this, they said, all right, we're, we're going to cast lots. We're going to cast lots. Now, you may have heard this term before, casting lots. All right, We cast lots um, for Jesus' clothes at the foot of the cross. In Leviticus, a few weeks ago, we talked about, there's this term called a scapegoat. Remember when, when two goats were born? Uh, at the same time, twins, one was given as a sacrifice, and one the sins were laid upon and was allowed to go free. That's the scapegoat. All right? And they cast, when, two twin, when two twin goats were born, that's how they figured out which one was going to be the sacrifice and which one was going to be allowed to let go. They, they cast lots for that in the book of Levit- Leviticus in, in Numbers. Um, they cast lots separating the land between the different tribes of Israel. In Jonah, before he's tossed overboard, they're trying to figure out who's the, who's the blame for the storm. So they cast lots on the boat, and figure out, it's you, Jonah, who's to blame for the storm. In First Chronicles, uh, they cast lots for who was to receive the different temple services. Now imagine with me for a moment that this was the way we determined who served in what ministry here today. You showed up, you joined our church, and we tossed the dice. And we're like, welcome to children's ministry. <laughs> like, no! Toss the dice again. You're now playing drums. What? No. You know. Toss the dice again. Welcome to children's ministry. It's actually all. It's a. It's a loaded dice. It's just all. You know. It's all five. Everyone goes into children's ministry. Now, you might. You might have big eyes. I might not be like no. It's, I don't want to do that. I don't feel called to do that. Unfortunately for us, rather than playing rock paper scissors to determine where you end up in this body of Christ. We do what the disciples did, and from this moment on, everything is about prayerful consideration and seeking the investment of 
and the investigation into the spiritual life and formation of the person who would come in to be the leader. We can read about that in 1 Timothy and uh, Titus, uh, who is an elder and a deacon. We've talked about that before. The disciples here also choose to, you can read maybe if your Bible has a footnote to reference a few different psalms, Psalm 69 and 109. Uh, verse 8, specifically about uh, letting someone else take the office in the position. We had 12, one bad, ended badly, so we're going to replace that, and then we have a new disciple join, and that man's name is Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles there in verse 26. Now, what does this mean for us? Uh, simply today that we just need to be reminded that the church needs a healthy ratio of leaders. Right? There were 120 people. I did the math and I figured 11, not good. More. 12. 12. So they cast lots and they replaced the position. The church needs a healthy ratio of leaders. And the church was about 120, right? And so they wanted to go from 11 to 12. And what that breaks down to is how many per person? 10. All right? Now, the word we get for deacon, diakonos, in the Greek um, kind of uh, just uh, breaks down to this kind of subservient leader thing. But also, a little thing to have in the, in the back of your brain is that in uh, Greek, deca is also ten. So one way to think about it, you can think about, now the words aren't necessarily, you can go back to the, you know, the lexicon of Greek or whatever. I'm, I'm not here to, to go down that road map. Um, but it is worth remembering, okay? So they were like, okay, deca, deacon. You can make that, arguably make that connection um, of the roots and where those words came from. They said, hey, we need 10 people for every one person. It's a good, healthy breakdown so that everyone can be managed and we can have groups and gather together. So um, it's another reason why life groups are so important. If you are not in a life group, you need to be in one. Meeting absolutely regularly, preferably weekly, so you can keep what, what's going on in the life of each other and build each other up. You know, we have a Sunday night Bible study. We have a Monday night life group in Vieira. We have a Tuesday night young adults life group um, here at the church. We have a Wednesday night uh, life group that uh, is being taught by uh, Brad going through uh, discipleship stuff. And if that's not enough, guess what? We'll just start another group. Hooray! But you need to be in a group. Serving together. Studying the Word of God together. Even our band, we almost every week, most weeks, we try to, have a devotional moment. Read a scripture. See what's going on in each other's lives. How can we pray for each other? How can we lift each other up? What's going on? So there's some sense of community. right? This, is, this team up here is just a small group that happens to play music together. Isn't that cool? We drew the short straw and the dice. I'm just kidding. It's a great group, but you need to be in a group. You need to be in a group. So the church needs a healthy ratio of leaders. And this may be one of the areas where God may be calling you right now and preparing you to take a next step. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. But the church needs a healthy ratio of of leaders. One of the reasons why I'm so thankful that our church, if you are unaware somehow, um, is an elder-led church, right? There are 
three other men besides myself currently uh, who are all elders. Lance is you know, leading our Sunday morning uh, circle time. Uh, Brad, all, they're teaching small groups, Brad and David. And so I'm thankful for these men who have the equal biblical authority I do. The only difference is I work here. It's what God has set aside to be my responsibility as a pastor, so the buck stops with somebody. But I'm not leading alone. And I'm thankful for that. There needs to be a healthy ratio of leaders. And as our church grows, as, not if, as our church grows, be prepared. Because where will most likely the leaders come from? The remnant. And here you are. I'm, a, I'm aware I'm preaching to the choir here. The faithful, the people who have stuck it out, who've weathered different things. And here we are, and I'm thankful for you. But that might be a next step. A next step for you might be just getting in a small group or life group together. So now we go into chapter 2. And before we read some of this, if you, were, uh, if you don't know, today is a day called Pentecost. And Pentecost is the birth of the church. What's a Pentecost? About one cent. About one cent. That's, that's what a penny cost. About one cent. Thank you. Thank you. Pentecost is the birthday of our church in many ways that we might think back to July or April, Easter of 2015. We could go back to 1966 when this was formed at Sherwood Park Baptist Church. But today, regardless, it's our birthday. Who brought cake? Nobody? No one got the cake memo? Go out for cake. Where's this name Pentecost come from? Again, we go to the Greek. Uh, the Greek Pentecosti means 50. All right. What's so important about 50? What's so special about 50? Well... Because in the Hebrew tradition, 50 days after Passover, which if you will recall, was Jesus' crucifixion date, right right around that weekend, 50 days after Passover, there was Shavuot, this is seven weeks, seven weeks, 50 days, is the Feast of Weeks, all right? otherwise also known as the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of 50 Days, and it started sundown, technically in the Hebrew tradition, sundown last night was when the Feast of Weeks began. And it will go through sundown Monday. And back in the day, all Jewish males were required, it was a pilgrimage time, to go to Jerusalem. All right? Why is it 50 days after Passover? Well, because 50 days after the Israelites left Egypt, God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, on Mount Sinai. 50 days after. So this was their tradition to remember not only the Passover, but 50 days later, the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks from then, so we're going to go remember the giving of the law, Feast of Weeks, seven weeks. All right, you tracking with me? Okay, all right. And, and one of the things that was interesting about this Feast of Weeks is that they would take two leavened loaves of bread. Not unleavened, which was needed and required for all of the other ceremonies and feasts, but this took two leavened loaves of bread to place on the altar. Now, biblically, leaven, leavening, the things that makes you know, bread rise and some other things like yeastly sort of things, is a representation of sin. 
It's a metaphor, allegory, simile, and other fun words, right? So it's kind of representation of sin. So why would we take two loaves of bread with sin in them, and that would be our altar? Uh, Some scholars and theological leaders believe that um, it represents the church. The church is the bride of Christ, but is it perfect? Not yet. One day will be. But right now, it's got you and me in it, so it ain't. All right? So we're, we're imperfect, but thanks be to God and His grace. So there's two leavened loaves coming together, and 50 days after, seven weeks, Feast of Weeks, they'd have this celebration. You, know, you can yeah, read about that in Luke uh, chapter 24, verse 49, but I want to actually go now to John chapter 14 and reference a promise Jesus makes to His disciples. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. John 14, 15. Jesus says, "...if you love Me, you will keep My commandments." And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever. Even, in this, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you behind alone. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. How are we going to do that? Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Two more verses. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. I bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Which is why, again, from that moment that the disciples received the Holy Spirit, they stopped being afraid. A few pages over in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, Jesus then goes on and says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. You think it's being obedient. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, Jesus says, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus says, if I don't leave, the Spirit cannot come. 
In another sense, he also says, if I don't leave, there would be no church. Think about it. If Jesus had someone asked me this question a week or two ago, it, what if Jesus had never died? First of all, it would be a little weird by now. I'm sure he'd be looking great for 2,117 years old or some odd number, right? Like, wow, still alive. And people would still be following him around from city to city, town to town, waiting for the next miracle, the next basket of food. Waiting for the next show. But Jesus said, I have to leave. Beware of some contemporary pastor or preachers who say things like, God is just changing forms. That's called modalism. And it's actually contradictory to what we just read and what Jesus in Scripture says. I had a conversation with a friend of mine earlier this week uh, who goes here, Ben Bowman, and he and I were talking. Uh, we were nerding out a little bit of, uh, about Spider-Man, Spider-Man, uh, Homecoming, Far From Home, all those different movies or whatever. And uh, the most recent one that came out um, has some old characters in it. All right? I'm trying to say it without saying it. Um, but there's Spider-Men. Spider-Men? Would that be correct? Yeah. Spider-Men. Spider-Men does whatever the Spider-Mens do. Anyway, so there's, 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 you know, we, we have Tobey Maguire coming back, and we have Andrew Garfield, who is the best Spider-Man, coming back. And uh, then we have Tom Holland, who is a joke as Spider-Man. But they're all there. They're all there. Them's fighting words. I'm glad you're angry about that, at least. And it's so much easier for our world to accept a Trinitarian view of Spider-Man than it is of God. They can get their brains around, it's all Spider-Man, but that one's Tobey Maguire, and that one's Andrew Garfield, and that one's Tom Holland. They can get their brains around that. Who are they? They're all Spider-Man. Because they're all bound by this, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Same identity. That's what we have in, in God. And one of the things that's cool about that movie is that Ben was talking about, like, we get to see the world hungering for the Trinity and substituting Spider-Man. So this is what's going on. One Spider-Man must leave. Otherwise, you have two Spider-Men in the same universe. Modalism, crazy chaos. Anyway, so 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, all 120 now, let's read back in Acts, are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And we're moving on. When the day of Pentecost arrived, verse 1 of chapter 2, they were all together in one place. Is this new for them? Nope, they've been doing this for at least a little while. All together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And at this point, you might probably be a little bit freaked out. Something is happening, right? Check it out. And they were all filled now with the Holy Spirit. Not just the disciples, but now all 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, now pause here for a second because what this is talking about is it's not gibberish. I want to be very careful here. What the tongues are being talked about here is different languages. The ability to speak languages they had never spoken before. I do believe that there is a time where a language of the Spirit can be uttered. And I'm not mocking it, I'll be careful, but it sounds often like the same. Alright? Okay. 
But if there's not someone there who interprets it, it's not biblical. And if someone is doing that by themselves, it's blasphemous. And what's going on here in the book of Acts is they're not speaking gibberish. They're speaking to be understood. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 120-ish people, different languages. We know it's more than 11 because the languages that we're about to list are more than the disciples, the apostles now, all right? And they were astonished and saying, are, are these all who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Because now everyone is in Jerusalem to gather for the Feast of Weeks. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. We just got up two hours ago. We don't even have time to be drunk. All right? It's just 9 a.m. And here we go, we're speaking all these languages. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions, and old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All believers had access to and were given the same Spirit. All believers had access to and were given the same spirit. Now, what does this mean for you and I today? It means that you are not left out or less than. If you are a believer in Christ, a baptized, saved believer, you have the Holy Spirit. With different gifts, but to the same measure, the same access that anybody else does. One of the traps we can fall into is this Christian walk, being like, well, they're more holy. Their words sound better when they pray. They're gifted or talented to do this. I could never do that. Friends, don't say, I could never. God leads you to it. Trust Him in it. So all the believers had access to and were given the same Spirit. This is how we are also able to use our discernment and reading the Word of God to be like, no, no, no. Something somebody else says is inaccurate or goes against the Word of God if we know it. So we use that spirit to say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the same spirit. They were all together, they were all in one mind, all in unity, all in one accord. They could recognize what was and was of not that same spirit. Secondly, all believers had the same message now, but to a different people. And all these different languages had the same message, a unifying message, calling the great works of God and salvation through Jesus Christ. Friends, this morning, you have the same message. Who are you speaking it to? Who are you speaking it to? 
I would argue that if you are saying nothing, perhaps the same spirit is not within. If you're doing the Christ-following walk all by yourself on your lonesome, don't think you need a body of believers, don't think you need to evangelize, you have missed the call completely. So they went from 120 people, and check this out, we're going to skip ahead. Peter gives a great message here, echoing some of the same things that we have seen, and I encourage you to read this in your personal study time later, because if you're like me, and I'll be honest, I read this, and I... I find it hard to be like, oh, it's so good. Best thing I've ever read. You know, put it on a microphone. Oh, so amazing. That's part of the problem. Is that in this message, these five or six paragraphs of Peter's sermon, God takes a man who had become a coward, hiding, fearful, denying that Christ existed, that he knew him and now empowers him to go preach this message. And he steps out of what was most likely his comfort zone and he pours his heart out, maybe not in the most eloquent, but accurate and heartfelt. And for that, it is amazing. And after this few short paragraphs, talking about how Jesus had died and risen, been crucified by them, and now was the same Savior alive. After hearing this, they, they ask, what do, we, what do we do about this? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The tongues of fire, the rush of the wind. They knew what was going on. They could see it. They could hear it. It was something absolutely amazing, like you and I have never seen before. Oh, to be there on that day. Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all those who are far off, that everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words he bore witness and continue to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Should that not be our passionate heart cry today? Proclaim it from the mountaintop of Facebook posts, family reunions and gatherings. Tell it to the server at Applebee's. Save yourself from this crooked generation. And all 120 believers who had the same access to the same spirit were giving the same message. Friends, for you this morning, it might not be behind this wooden box, but you are called to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. In whatever format or location God has given you, Make a pedestal if you have to have one. And tell your friends, your family, your co-workers, your classmates, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Repent and be baptized. So those who received his word were baptized. 
And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. They went from 120 to 3,000. So we see the first church quickly becoming a megachurch. And then awesome. There's nothing bad about a megachurch. If, in fact, they are doing what they were doing. The church grew and was successful in the blessing of the Holy Spirit, not because of a marketing strategy, a successful ad campaign, a Facebook-boosted post, a viral TikTok, cool t-shirts, live-streaming website, podcasts, laser lights, awesome band, and released albums. The church grew and was blessed together with the Holy Spirit, because they did what they did at first. We go back to, again, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They had already been in the habit of gathering together in one accord, in one mind, in one spirit, devoting themselves to the teaching, and to the prayers, and to the unity, to the breaking of bread, and the fellowship of the believers. And here's what we learn today as we close. If you're not doing it when you're small, you won't do it when you get large. You can't expect that one day later, when then you have kids, then you'll bring them to church. You can't wait for one day when you get that next car, that next job, that next opportunity, that next home, the thing that you think you want, then you'll give, then you'll serve, then you'll lead. If you're not doing it now, don't expect yourself to do it later. If we won't do it when we are small, we will not do it when we get large. Earlier I said that I'm glad to have the church that we have right now because we are coming back to our first love. We sang about it already this morning. And God is molding and shaping and forming and reforming us into what I believe is a more biblical, solid, edifying, Christ-following church. Now, we might not do all the things that you might see other churches doing. Because they may not be doing it for the right reasons. We don't know. But what I do know is that we are doing right now exactly what we are called to do. Come together. Gather. Break bread, prayers, fellowship, teaching. Life together. And if we cannot commit to doing that now as a church of 79 or 84, or whatever we are, friends, we, don't, we can't expect to, to do it when we are large. And if we are to grow, any growth that is not of these attributes that we've talked about, that's not a church, that's a crowd. And I don't know about you, but crowds gather for a concert for a purpose, and then they leave and then they go home. There is no connection, there is no community, there is no discipleship. I don't want to be a part of a crowd. I want to be a part of a church. This is why I think our church is in a healthy place, because we can grow from here. Right? Do you feel it? Like, I feel it. God is doing something. The Holy Spirit is still alive, is within us. And I I have a tongue of fire floating above my head, but it's the same Spirit, because we have the same Lord and the same call. Our church can grow. We can grow from here, but I only want us to grow if we are all gathered in one place. 
we're gathered in one place, if we are pursuing our first love, if we were doing the things that we did at the first, if we are all committed to teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship of believers, if we are all committed to praying, if we are all committed to having glad and generous hearts, gatherings in homes and in temples, serving and giving and leading. That's the church I want to be a part of, right? And we have the same Lord same God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And in a moment caught up and twisted in a movie called Lion King, a monkey named Rafiki gives us a picture. He lives in you. (laughs) This is the access we have. Same Lord, same Spirit. The Acts of the Apostles just drops us off at the end. You know why I think? Because they ain't done yet. The church is still moving and growing. And you and I are called and have the privilege and the joy of being a part of what God is still doing today. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.